Welcome, friends, back to a very, very special episode of While You Were Streaming, the movie podcast desperately pleading to Gen Z to watch these iconic films, the movies that I grew up with in the mall, and today joining me is another fellow mall rat, another fellow Florida rat. I mean, not that she's from Florida. She has very distinguished DNA. She's a Brit by birth. But still, we had a seminal childhood growing up together in Florida. So I think even though she's this dignified, beautiful, blonde, elegant, refined, still, we are core Florida trash. So I'm very excited to have her here. We have a podcast VIP, a true podcast legend. Her podcast, Nursing and Cursing, blew up the airways. I mean, she was doing it literally 10 years ago when it was cool. She was an OG. She's a writer. Her stories have gone viral in all these publications. I won't go on and on, but I will just introduce my near dear Kate Hardy, nay Lefkoff. Welcome to While You Were Streaming. Oh my God. I'm so, I'm truly so excited to be here and you're the only person I'd be up past my bedtime to talk to. I know. This is like a long time coming because one of our most organic natural traits also one of your children's hot button torture issues is our ability to talk non-stop through any media movie tv show trailer anything playing we are there to talk through it and ruin the experience for anyone trying to have a moment of peace and actually absorb you know what makes me mad actually brian i feel like what what i consider just real-time narration of a movie like i feel like that's actually the service that i'm providing like i'm letting you know what these actors have been in before. I'm I'm letting you know what I think of this set. I'm letting you know what I think of this outfit. I feel like a, another generation has turned that into a whole platform where water's like, oh, it's twitching. Like when people stream something and just talk, like explain it to you as it's yes. happening. Like, yeah. We were like, OG Twitchers. We've been talking through media for two decades now. I'm like, I didn't realize that you could make a living doing that. I would have been on YouTube just screaming over people's favorite TV shows 20 years ago. I, I had no idea that was a thing. Imagine us just screaming through Felicity and Will and Grace during college. I would have just like, oh my God, my Twitch. I would have had a coming out party on Twitch, actually. No, I literally but could have walked you through every episode of ER. You wouldn't heard a word of dialogue and you wouldn't have needed to well kate don't bring up er too soon because 1994 is such a seminal year not only in film pop culture and television i texted kate a screen grab just from the tv issue just to set the tone of where we are oh i was dying michael crichton's got a medical drama called er and there's a show about some friends with courtney cox from family ties like this is going to be like major culture musty tv is bulldozing through they bring up ER and they only talk about Sherry Stringfield. No mention of George Clooney. George Clooney is not a, even an entity. Meanwhile, three years from now, George Clooney will be on the cover of Summer Movie Preview for Batman and Robin. So it's really funny, Kate, going through watching someone being a footnote, one issue, the next issue being a cover story. No, I caught that too. They were like a oh, friend starring David Schwimmer from, and I can't even remember what David Schwimmer was. NYPD Blue. Yes. From NYPD <laughs> Blue. 
<laughs> David Schumer from NYPD Blue. I'm dying to have a New York City encounter with him and be like, I just want you to know I loved you in NYPD Blue. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but that's the thing. You could have their whole other TV sidebar, but 1994 also is one of the seminal years of film in the 90s. It's like truly the crossover from mainstream to independent. This is the year it was all about Forrest Gump versus Pulp Fiction. Forrest Gump won Best Picture this year. This is the biggest movie of the summer, both commercially and critically. And it's really paralleled with Pulp Fiction, this innovative movie with unconventional storytelling, violent, gritty, with a whole point of view versus Forrest Gump with the most curated top 40 soundtrack of the 60s, 70s. You couldn't have two opposing films. And it's interesting when we go through this just to see Hollywood at that transition of some seminal independent films, Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, Ang Lee's first film. There's a few littered in here throughout just the clunkers of just Hollywood schlock and the nostalgias of the Flintstones and whatnot coming back. It's an interesting mix though of 80s style, like family entertainment, pop culture movies into independent, grittier films. But also, Kate, if you notice, like the comic book movies from this year, there was this is before Marvel, before Avengers. In our days, the comic book movies were, it was The Mask, which was based on a comic no one knew. It was so interesting seeing what the content was back then. I guess like when I was looking at um, the issue that you sent me, I could not get over the fact that at, there was a time in our lives in the not so distant past when Billy Crystal's face close up was what they chose for the cover. Yeah. I know this is not a visual medium, but I'm showing to Kate right now the cover of the Entertainment Weekly 1994 summer preview issue is Billy Crystal promoting City Slickers 2, right? It's a close-up of his face through a rope lasso. Mm -hmm. It could not be less sexy. God bless you. We love a, a Jewish boy from New York, but this is, uh, this mensch's face is not what you think of as a cover boy for a summer movie. Now it's Chris Pratt covered in like a hose. No, exactly. It's Chris Pratt, like literally like riding a T-Rex. <laughs> it blew my mind. I was like, I can't believe that I lived through this, that I lived through Billy Crystal's cover boy. I guess this was 94, Kate. Like, Billy Crystal was, like, the king of Hollywood. I think he was hosting the Oscars at this point. He was just, yeah, one of the biggest entities. Now, we don't have Oscar hosts, or they have them, and they make three hosts, even though only one of them should be hosting. But, Kate, also, just to notice, every issue of Entertainment Weekly, they have one token person of color. Yes, I heard you discuss this. I was blown away. Last issue is Whoopi Goldberg. This issue, also Whoopi Goldberg. Like, he literally, we're like, let's just leave that square there right we'll did they even update the photo they were like just put whoopi back up there right they just did a text correction from um sister act two to corinna corinna but anyhow let's get into the movie before we do so kate and you take a minute and just tell those listening how we met really quick brian and i met in college at nyu um i hate to say that it was 20 years ago brian was the close friend of the guy that i dated in college and actually, I feel like, did I first meet you at that Taco Bell when you came flying up to the window? I, I don't feel it's like 3rd and 11th. There was a Taco Bell. Hideous. We were literally seeking refuge from a fire drill or something. We were there in the middle of the night. I mean, I would be at a Taco Bell in the middle of the night for any number of reasons. Anywhere. But even Bridget. Bridget, our fellow friend, she's a huge Taco Bell freak. She's like, I don't even want to eat the one in New York. For some reason, even in New York, the Taco Bell seems tainted compared to the other goods. But still, there was that Taco Bell. You were eating there with your boyfriend. And oh, I decided Bell. to come in hot. 
I saw you in the window of Taco Bell and I just ran full force without stopping and I smashed into the plexiglass window at like high speed velocity just to like startle and get a reaction from y'all. I got a reaction. I've never forgotten it. We're, I'm, I'm 40 years old now and I still remember that. The reality is though, Kate, you and I have transitioned from little NYU dorm rats now talking through the movies with your kids to the point where your kids are at an age where they can verbalize to tell us to shut the F up without using the F word because your kids are polite. But we have been told that, Kate, we went to Sex and the City 2 at the Court Street Theater oh where God. we talked so loud and we were so buzzed on the champagne so roadies we brought into the theater. So the couple in front of us during Sex and the City 2 turned around, <laughs> looked at us one inch from our face and said, shut the fuck up. And they had every damn right to do so. Oh my God. Or did they? I don't know. I could revisit that movie and I would definitely make the point that, I mean, I would definitely argue that is a movie designed to be talked all the way through. Nobody missed any dialogue. Some people wanted to verbally assault us. Others should have Venmoed us. This is pre-Venmo, but like having our running dialogue track through the movie, well, actually half the movie, because Kate, I swear to you, I passed out through the second half of the movie. I don't, I remember having to go back to see it. I might as well not have seen it. I died in the desert. Like at one point we were walking through the desert at evening couture and the next thing I knew that I, I was at home. I was in, in my bed ah. in Brooklyn. I don't know how I got there. Oh, wait, but Kate, before we get into the summer of 1994, our first summer movie season was summer of 2002. We saw Spider-Man together. The first Spider-Man. Oh Talk about God. like OG superhero, Tobey Maguire, Kirsten Dunn Spider-Man. That's our Spidey. We saw it right after September 11th. Right. It was the summer movie. It was summer 2002. And they changed the ending to have Tobey Maguire at the top of the the Empire State mm -hmm. Building. I still remember the line, like, wow, New York, if you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. And everybody in the theater going insane. I remember that. I remember two things. I remember that moment, the NYC post 9-11 camaraderie around seeing New York come together in Spider-Man. And I remember <laughs> a little girl named Kate asking me if I could have some of my chicken fingers. Now, this was 2002, where if you were at the AMC Kips Bay and you were Brian and ordered chicken fingers, you paid $17.99 for three chicken tenders. Oh my God, I was such a brat. Hey, I swear to you guys, I remember this so viscerally. She looks over and goes, can I have some of your tenders? Some, there's three. I paid $17 for three tenders. Some, you get one max. You know what I mean? Like, I just remember- I can't believe you would even, yeah. Right, that, this is us from the start, cackling brain through all these movies. And that's what we're gonna do here. Take me to where you were in 1994 summer. How old am I gonna be? 13. Just moved to Florida, um, living in St. Augustine, that's North Florida, trying to escape the heat by getting dropped off at the mall with 20 bucks from my parents and figuring out if I'm going to spend it at Hot Topics or go see a movie. You were too cool. Like, I was scared of Hot Topics. I want to get into it. May 1994. Were you dropped off at the movies to see the Flintstones? I was super excited to see the Flintstones. I think my mom actually came with us to see the Flintstones because she, my mom liked John Goodman a lot. Oh. Seeing movies in the movie theater was new to us. This was not something we had ever done in the UK before. And so seeing movies in the movie theater in Florida kind of blew our mind. We loved to go, loved it. The whole experience was so fun. So this, if you're 13, this is a big deal. Yeah, no, I loved everything. I loved everything about it. But I want to call Entertainment Weekly says in their review where they gave the movie a B, does it say something about the infantilization of American cinema that an absurdly literal-minded big-budget version of a goofy cartoon series is now our idea of a major motion picture event? And I'm laughing because I'm like, they question whether the Flintstones could be turned into an event. They're turning Sonic into an event. They're turning a 
cartoon Sonic that rolls and collects rings oh into movies. Like Flintstones that's... actually has stories and character. It's just funny. This, they're talking about flimsy premises. That review is prophetic because, right, you're exactly right. Like, the, there's movies based on, like, screensavers now. I know. These movies are screensavers. You're like, they're yeah, based off a TikTok. You're like... Going back to Fred Flintstone, I feel like it's, you're returning to some kind of canon. I know. And for anyone listening, The Flintstones is a 1960s primetime animated series, which they turn into this feature film version. Elizabeth Perkins, Rosie O'Donnell, Kyle McLaughlin, Halle Berry, Jonathan Winters, the BC-52s, and Elizabeth Taylor. Fred Flintstone, you've arrived. I'm only one man. Not from the back. As we noted, it didn't get the greatest reviews, but here Owen Gleiberman says, I had a good time at the Flintstone. The movie has been made with affection and occasional slivers of wit, and it tickled my memories of the show's weirdly earthbound charm. I do remember seeing the Flintstones because I remember the blue dress Rosie. that um, Rosie O'Donnell Now, wore. I don't want to just make this a Rosie O'Donnell pod, but like I spent a lot of time talking about her in the last one because sleep was in Seattle. Hello. And you guys are lucky we didn't cover League of Their Own because it would have been a one hour sidebar about Rosie and Madonna oh alone. Hello all the way May. But Rosie, uh, I love that she got this part. And like one of the things we noted in last um, episode. All of Entertainment Weekly's like glaring issues of context when they're talking about women and race and sexuality and gender and just the point of view is definitely, you know, just something very baked into the relic of its time. And, you know, now everyone's noticing body positivity, body consciousness, and you mentioned Rosie in her blue dress. But I want to call it Entertainment Weekly says in their review... And if Rosie O'Donnell is hardly a double for the svelte Betty, that's forgotten the moment she duplicates Betty's delighted rapid-fire giggle. Oh my god, rude. Wow, coming for Rosie's weight. But they're right in a sense that you know Hollywood organically wouldn't be casting a Betty that outweighs a Barney. But God bless, because they're really adorable, Rick Moranis and Rosie. And Rosie, to me, is like the main star of this movie, even though she's probably fourth build. Like, once Rosie got her talk show, she was always talking about the Flintstones doing her little Betty Robo laugh. Steven Spielrock presents The Flintstones. <laughs> this whole cast, actually, you know, when I was reading the summer movie preview, John Goodman has like a whole quote in there about how, like how he walked around barefoot trying to get in touch with the Method. character. He wanted, Method, he fuck wanted, Daniel Day-Lewis. Wanted to make it his own thing. He wasn't like, okay, I'm just gonna um, drive this car with my feet and put the cat outside every night. No, I'm gonna go deeper. I wanna know about Fred's backstory i want to know about fred's dreams fred's desires thank you for highlighting honestly john goodman someone who's never had an oscar nomination he's truly a legend he only had a few movies he got to headline as a lead role but i do love it steven spielberg cast him in a previous movie called always and during the table read for the movie steven spielberg announced ladies and gentlemen i'd like to say something before we start i found my fred flintstone this was like five years before the Flintstones. He saw John Goodman and was like, done. And in the casting, they talked about John Candy, Jim Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, Chevy Chase. Bill Murray and Chevy Chase, they said they were going to have to pad up, but they said that they weren't going to pad them with fat suits, deeming that too inappropriate to be used. Meanwhile, Sarah Paulson is here padded to the gills playing Linda Tripp in 2022. But oh, back crazy. then, they were like, it's inappropriate to pad our Fred. And the only other thing I want to say on the movie about the casting, last episode, I was talking about Anna Nicole Smith, 
saying that she tried out and auditioned yes. for the part of Sharon Stone. Halle Berry plays an assistant in the movie named Sharon Stone that Sharon Stone was supposed to play but had to drop out due to scheduling conflicts. They said the role was offered to Nicole Kidman. But it's funny, last episode, you heard Anna Nicole Smith whining she wanted the part, and she was pissed at Sharon Stone that she got offered it. Just a fun dorky fact, Kate, this is so sick, I remember this. I remember them saying originally they, they were going to rename the character Rosetta Stone instead of Sharon Stone. Oh my god, Rosetta <laughs> Stone, that's hideous. <laughs> but um, anyhow, Halle Berry ultimately played Sharon Stone in the movie. And I don't remember seeing Rick Moranis again after this. His wife died. I was exactly what I was thinking. This is probably one of the last high-profile movies he had. We'll get there, but just on Halle Berry, I, what I love, too, are the misconnections of, like, what roles could have been played by other actresses. For um, Speed, the first choice for Speed, they offered it to Halle Berry, the female lead who drives the bus. They pictured it as an African-American woman who was going to be an ambulance driver to motivate her steering. Meanwhile, they couldn't get Halle Berry, so... They decided to forgo, I guess, the African-American angle, and they went comedy, and they wrote the character as a funny, quippy bus driver, and they offered the part to Ellen DeGeneres. Oh, my God. Ellen DeGeneres <laughs> driving the bus in speed with Keanu. <laughs> like, I'm getting off here. Am I right? I'm trying to find, find a Nemo. I'm just trying to find the 105. Am I right? Like, sorry, my worst Ellen. So it went from oh. Hallie to Ellen, and then they couldn't find the right actress, and Jan DeBont begged the studio, Cassandra Bullock, who got the part, Little actress who I may have a little crush on. <laughs> Wait for that sidebar. The speed needs to be its own separate. I haven't mentioned speed, you guys. I buried the lead. This is the summer speed's release, so apologies in advance. But while we were talking about Halle Berry, she kicks off the summer in Flintstones. She could have been at the helm of the wheel in speed. Halle did not have the right management giving her her choice of roles at the time because instead of canoodling with Keanu, she was stuck at Bedrock. Before we move on from Flintstones, my main memory, like muscle memory from the film, is the McDonald's tie-in. They had these frosted glass etched cups, which they later did with um, Batman Forever. But they had the whole series of these cups from McDonald's, which I was definitely going to collect. You know I needed to get my Rosie O'Donnell McDonald's mug. Hello. I totally forgot those tie-ins. I bet, can you imagine what they are on eBay right now? Oh my God. I know what I'm getting you from. This is kind of the end of Rosie's movie run. The next summer, Rosie's going to debut her talk show. I think we'll get a Harriet the Spy call out next issue, kids, but our Rosie sidebar is coming to an end. Anyhow, Kate, that summer, another movie came out called Beverly Hills Cop 3. I know you didn't see. I'll let Eddie Murphy himself talk about the quality of Beverly Hills Cop 3, the sequel which came out seven years after Beverly Hills Cop 2. In his words, the movie is garbage. Correct. The buzz here, don't hold your breath for part four, which is actually funny because just this past April, they finally announced the director who is going to be helming Beverly Hills Cop 4. As Eddie Murphy himself said, those movies, when I travel overseas, people say, Hey, Beverly Hills Cop, Axel Foley, they call me that shit. All the movies I've done, they call me that. If we do that movie, it has to be right. Not just thrown together to get a big check. I don't need any more of those. So this is something Jerry Bruckheimer announced back in 2015. And now look, Bruckheimer's on top with his Top Gun remake. So who's to say that Beverly Hills Cop 4 can't repair some of the damage done by Part 3? I didn't see Beverly Hills Top 3. I'm happy to talk about Maverick, which I also didn't see, but at, for some reason holds a huge place in my home life. My mom really loved this movie. <laughs> I think my mom had was a closet, had a closet crush on Mel Gibson, which I need to explain that my mom passed away before Mel Gibson got truly crazy. She 
she only knew the Mel Gibson from right. this era. So she's accused. She was pure. Actually, her passing early is a tragedy for your life, but a blessing in terms of her memories of Mel. Absolutely. She went She went to the afterlife thinking that he was a maverick. He was a brave heart. He was a brave heart. He, a a brave heart he never knew that he, he, he <laughs> never knew who was a bloated anti-Semite. And I'm glad that that was never spoiled for her. I love that. Maverick is a film based on the 1957 to 61 television series starring James Garner as Maverick. James Garner in this film plays Mel Gibson's dad. Hey, where's the fire, son? I'm a gambler. You're a gunfighter. Fact of the matter is, if I'd have tried to face you down, I mean, what chance would I have had? Absolute zero. Was that fast? Want to see it again? <laughs> Mel Gibson. Damn thing won't stay in a holster. <laughs> Whoop! Jodie Foster. This silly looking creature's called Maverick, and, and my name is Annabelle Bransford. I'll be taking the stage. Well, so am I. So am I. James Garner. And relax and enjoy the journey now. Maverick. Don't worry. Nothing to worry about. I got it all under control. But, Kate, you really just touched upon something that was my exact takeaway of how delightful and charming and sexy Mel Gibson was in this era because we have been so, it's like curdled milk. You could only smell the last bits of the mold and rot. But at one point he was like a delicious like liquid to put into a cereal with. Yeah, he was, he was a man that would draw a housewife out. That's what I mean. Like Your mom draw... and I remember my Aunt Kathy, she had a big thing for exactly. Mel Gibson, along with Kevin mm -hmm. Costner. I feel like those two were very mom bait, you know? Kate, of all the movies, last night I was prepping for this uh, podcast. The one I paid $3.99 for Amazon purchase was Maverick because it's a movie I really loved at the time, but it has no legacy for me. I don't see it no on legacy. any... You don't see it on T. You don't see it. You don't see it. It's not, it's not out there in the world. You don't see Maverick on anywhere so i paid the 3.99 and seeing these movies now as like a hot-blooded individual i was like who i had like the vapors watching mel gibson in these early shirtless scenes reminding myself that he wasn't just this corroded individual i mean not to like name drop but i worked on a mel gibson movie came out last year on hulu called boss level he plays the boss the villain and he's so like grotesque in it and my grandma God rest her soul, you know, she, you know, we have family passing the Holocaust. So when Mel Gibson out himself as an anti-Semite, she said, never in my life will I support a picture from that sick, vile man. And when I told my grandma I worked on a Hulu project, she's like, when's it on? I'm watching. I'm watching. So she supported me over her hate for this man. But back in the day, Kate, I wasn't a huge like Mad Max fan or like his action fan. What I realized was this smaller, warm-hearted Mel Gibson movies, Forever Young and Man Without a Face, were the two movies that came out before this summer. He has I a side to him in his youth, not now. He did have a, um, a super harmless Australian goofball quality. Charming as fuck. And Ma Maverick, the entire movie is built yes. on his charm effect. Yeah. He's a schemer and he's a gambler and a liar and he's swindling people the entire time in Maverick. Dealer's choice? Okay, five cards tied, but no, I think I prefer draw. <laughs> you gotta learn to loosen up, kid. Have some fun. This is poker. The movie is built upon his charm offense and it helps when he's the charm is coupled with like a smoking hot body as well. So it's like, and it really came together in Maverick. And what about Jodie Foster? You know, Here. Thank you. No, I literally was going to say, I want to point out, half the time I 
wasn't watching the movie, I was cross-referencing Jodi's IMDb being like, she had some real Hollywood mojo to get the part. This is before Contact? She, this is before Contact, but this is after her double Oscar wins because that's the only way she was able to snag this role. Because if you have this, like, Southern belle, like, who comes in to steal the men's hearts and affections, you don't think Jodie Foster, but she truly is winsome, charming, and is... Such a great actress. She well, let us not forget, off. she actually is, she's such a great actress that she can act totally horny around Mel Gibson. That's right. how great of an actress she really is. Well, that's the truth. They always say she never had chemistry with her male co-stars, like Richard Gere, they did this movie, Summer's Bee, it was a joke. The th thought was, since Jodie, you know, she played such strong-minded characters. I mean, she was raped in an arcade by eight men in The Accused and then, you know, had to escape men flinging semen at her in Science of the Lamb. So Jodi didn't have the most like graceful transition to like rom-com, but Maverick, I almost wish she got more roles where she got to be lighter, charming lighter. and winsome because lighter. I loved her in this. Right, she's normally burdened with a revenge, rape, or like a political angst. It was just nice seeing her just breeze in and out. Yeah, and this is like just pre her, so what she did contacts after this, and then she went into a phase that was like, Directing. Well, she started directing. Home yeah, for the holidays. Yeah, and, and also, um, like, burdened mom. Remember, she was on the plane and her kid went missing. <laughs> she was in a house and somebody Panic broke room. Panic room. She, she was... She burdened was, mom. She was, she was the vampire girl's mom. Um, right. So. Kristen Stewart, yes. She was Kristen Stewart. Right, and then they did flight plans. They're like, instead of her trapped in the house, how about her... Yeah, exactly. They just made the sequel... Let's have Peter Sarsgaard gaslight her on this plane for three hours. Like that, I loved that movie, by the way. Loved it. Kate, I swear to you, I'm not even saying this to be cute, you guys. If you go to my Amazon, you'll see Maverick. Within two other clicks of recently watched, you're going to see Flight Plan. Because I just rewatched Panic Room. It just had its 20th anniversary, and I hadn't seen it since theaters. Really loved rewatching Panic Room. And then I went right to Flight Plan. I was like, I was on the Anguish Mom train. You called it. Anguish so, Mom train. She did, so we she got, did a little sidestep there, and then she was like, hell no, I'm I want to move on from Maverick, but I want to point out Entertainment Weekly, Kate, they ends each entry with the buzz, kind of predicting what the outcome of these movies is going to be. And honestly, they really do a great job. Eight times out of ten. I was going to say nine. Eight of getting it right. But um, sometimes there's some, like, you know, really swing and misses that are fun to read about. But just wanted to do a box office check. For Maverick, they say, Buzz, should make a quick killing, then fold before July 4th. But Maverick really actually cleaned up. It turned into basically $100 million. It made the top 10 box office and made $100 million, so which for... Uh, no legacy, now that you say that, because I actually didn't realize it had done that well on its initial release. Richard Donner directed it, so I feel like we can secretly support it. Great. Pro Jody. You know, Jody and Mel also befriended each other weirdly, and when everyone turned on Mel, Jody was weirdly like, I just take him for the man I know. And I'm wow. like, Jody, damn. She was the last person. She made a movie with him called The Beaver. That's all I got to say. That's all I'm, I'm ending on that. The Beaver. And also May box office update, The Flintstones. There was a big question on the buzz here. Oh my God, The yes. buzz for The Flintstones. We know 32 writers who need a lesson in the difference between puns and jokes. But with surefire nostalgia appeal and a Jurassic-sized marketing push, The Flintstones should begin the season like the bedrock drive-in fave, The Monster. That's not the best writing. I love how overly, I just, Brian, when I was reading these, I love how overly written everything in this magazine oh, is. God, it is, did I write it? It? Has gone, it has gone to the editor. It has come back with notes. It has been rewritten. People were really working, overworking the 
some of these paragraphs. Oh my god, definitely overworked. Flintstones ended up with a domestic box office of 130 million and worldwide 359 million. So look, those 32 writers did something right. So Kate, I'm kind of going through picking our top five movies of the summer. That's the goal is I want to take to the island the top five movies that if we're stranded are going to give us comfort or give us something. Whatever we need to survive on the island, we have to pick the top five movies. So in May, there really is not much here. It's Flintstones, Beverly Hills, and Maverick. Also in May, they note even Cowgirl get the blues. Gus Van Sant's troubled adaptation of the novel with Uma Thurman, a cult hero hitchhiker who has oversized thumbs. It's wild. I love that the movie exists. I only know the box, the VHS box, Kate, for going to Blockbuster. I also never watched the movie, but I feel like I was friends with older kids who I thought were cool, who had, who liked the movie. That's what it was to me. Totally. And also they finally also coming out this month, Bernardo Bertolucci directs Keanu Reeves, Bridget Fonda, Chris Ijek, and a legion of Tibetan monks and little Buddha intertwining the life of the Siddhartha with a modern reincarnation story. This summer preview's got a little something for everyone. Keanu Reeves shows up as Buddha and an action hero. So there you go. This is uh, Keanu's big summer, but I don't think there's anything in May. Anything for you you want to carry to our island or we're good? I'm good. So moving on, June, The Lion King. We are all connected in the great circle of life. Walt Disney Pictures presents its all-new 30-second full-length animated motion picture, The Lion King. We can't underestimate the impact that Lion King has in culture. That's one thing, Kate, I'm really noting of like what 30 years later still exists in pop culture. Last episode, my takeaways looking back, I was thinking Poetic Justice, Jurassic Park, and Hocus Pocus. Those are three things you go to a Target, you'll actually see t-shirts with those images on there. Kids are still oh. wearing images. Jurassic Park, Poetic Justice, and Hocus Pocus are still in the lexicon. And looking in this issue, you know, Hakuna Matata is in the Target lineup mm -hmm. of Target t-shirt classics. And it's one of those things in the buzz for the movie. It's really cute. They go, Irons walks away with the picture. Jeremy Irons, that is, who plays Scar, the villain. It should The picture should walk away with at least 100 million by Labor Day. Look for Simba's catchphrase, Hakuna Matata, Swahili for no worries, on a zillion t-shirts before summer's end. Only that 30 years later, 30 years later, they're still printing those t-shirts. We had a babysitter so, recently who had Hakuna Matata tattooed on her. I was like, okay. That means no worries, but like, I'm extremely worried for extremely anyone. Extremely worried. It's a major red flag. Fire. It's extremely a major worried. red flag. And of course, they remade this just a few years ago, a CG version, which seemed un wholly unnecessary. I read the box office. The CG version beat this no. version of the box office. Which is annoying because it just shows the testament of uh, the love for the original because they try to remake it so faithfully. Anyhow, they say it should make at least $100 million. The movie made, just domestically, $262 wow. million. And, um, and worldwide, it was uh, $858 million, The Lion King. It's such a good movie, honestly. So, Kate, take me back to 13-year-old Kate. You're sitting in the theater... And also, before we get to actually, before your first impression, we have to note, and I was doing the research, they note that the trailer was risky because instead of being a traditional trailer, they just shared the first five minutes of the movie, Kate. They shared the whole Circle of Life opening. I don't know if you remember this. The whole trailer was playing the whole opening of the movie. And then when Simba is raised Chills. and the Lion King title hits, the base of the title kicks and it was like Oof. absolute like goosebumps. goosebumps. And I got to be honest with you, for me... The teaser and just that opening scene 
for me, holds more of a place in the heart than the actual movie itself does. back in terms of my Disney journey. That's why I wanted to talk to you specifically about this movie because you were a little bit younger than me. And I think 18 <laughs> months when you're 13 makes a difference because I listen to me here. Little Mermaid was my love. I think that came out in 1990. And I was thinking the first movie that truly I was absorbed and loved and was the early telltale of me being out loud and proud was wanting to be Ariel and have a seashell bra. I remember being in a bunk bed in fourth grade Picturing myself as Ariel, living under the you sea. You have beautiful red hair. You're halfway there. I was halfway there. I loved Ariel, and I was obsessed. Aladdin, I was watching. I talked to your husband. I'm like, oh. remember seeing Aladdin so many times in theaters? Your husband turns to me and goes, bro, I was watching Terminator Whoa. 2 then. But I was um, very, and your husband is not a bro like that. I just had to like differentiate him from me. I was the type who was dragging my brother to Aladdin for the fourth viewing when my brother, two years younger than me, was like, I've seen it enough. Like, Oh, I loved Aladdin. So I was so Little Mermaid and so Aladdin. When Lion King was coming out, I was so stoked. That trailer, I remember being chills. But I'm just saying in terms of where I am now 30 years later, like if your kids want to rewatch, like I know I've, we've watched Aladdin with them. I know I've, we've put on Little Mermaid. I've never clamored to rewatch Lion King. And for me, that's because I was in 13 and I got out of my system with Aladdin. So I'm curious like how... I think you're the perfect demo. Hello, Jonathan Taylor Thomas was playing the voice of young Simba. I didn't care about that at all. Actually, I didn't care about that because I, I didn't watch. Um, you're not a home improvement. All right. I had no, she has taste, you guys. She's elevated. She lived in Florida, but she has no, taste. No, I just, I just, I, it, I was watching. It, this is when you had to watch one thing or another thing. Like you couldn't watch both things. So I was probably just watching something else on a different network. Um, but I, I remember seeing The Lion King so vividly. My brother, Joe, who's a year and a half younger than I am, he, I remember he and I saw it and we both, I just remember so vividly that I was not emotionally prepared for Mufasa to die. Oh. I had, I don't know why, Brian, I never saw it coming. What? I don't, I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, no, this is like your, land. in my mind, this is your land before time. I had to deal with that land before time. This is probably your version of that. Oh my God, I saw Lambo. I had the same experience in Land Before Time, which is why I still remember him screaming at the shadow dinosaur. Stop. I can't. I can't. But when this when when um young Simba is nudging Mufasa to wake him up, my brother and I were clutching each other in the dark, shaking. The tears were shaking. I mean, I was devastated. I was devastated. It took me to it took me down to the studs. I mean, the rest of the movie built me back up. I love the movie. Watching it with my kids, I was like, you guys, you're not ready. It's, like, a, testament, it's to... a testament to how much you love your dad, for one. If you hated your dad, you wouldn't care. <laughs> I guess so. I was like, you guys, you're... when I was watching it with my kids, though, I was like, where we're going today, you're, you're not going to be the same. This movie is... This movie is really scary. This movie is really sad. My kids watched it and they were like, oh my God, that sucks. The dad died. Watch the rest of the movie. I was like, wow, you guys are fucking sociopaths. Like, what's wrong with you? I I came apart (laughs) when I saw that scene. And my brother remembers it the exact same way. We couldn't get over it. 100%. I remember it being emotionally like gutting. So I appreciate the pathos of Lion King. I also think it's funny, Kate, I want to tell you this. When I did the research... Lion King was like their first product that wasn't based on any original material. It was, you know, just created in-house. It wasn't based on any 
novel or child's tale or anything like Snow White and Cinderella, the animators didn't want to work on it. Everyone was vying to get onto Pocahontas. No one wanted to work on Lion King. There were two rival camps. Everyone was Team Pocahontas, thinking that was elevating culture. And Lion King was this nothing of a project. Oh my God! Have and you ever seen the Wolf Cry? The Blue Corn Moon. That song that I can't. Grinning Bobcat. That's the best part of Pocahontas. That's the only part that that's the only, only part wait, that should live on. Literally, that hideous the song. blue corn moon exactly is the takeaway. Meanwhile, Lion King. Sorry, and this sounds. I don't want to be anti-indigenous, but there are no Pocahontas shirts in Target. Lion King is um, just maintain the test of time. And Kate, before we move on, I just have to note because my other love beyond cinema is the Real Housewives. And there are very little crossover between the Real Housewives and no movies shit. in the nineties. Yeah. We don't have Lisa Rinna in any of these movies, but. Because of the discord behind the scenes of people wanting to be on Pocahontas and not Lion King, the original um, director was replaced by director Rob Minkoff. Rob Minkoff's wife, Crystal Kong Minkoff, is the first Asian-American housewife on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And on her first episode, she's doing her house tour and she's like, here's Rob's office. And of course, you know, the man has every like statue and mold of timon and pumbaa like you'll never forget the man directed lion king because every wow. <laughs> little archival piece that's a there. great tidbit anyhow lion king is obviously such a huge hit and yeah devastating emotionally and also just want to give a shout out to elton john it's really kind of wild they created all the songs elton john and tim rice's lyricists they wrote five original songs for the film just five songs called circle of life i just can't wait to be king be prepared hakuna matata and can you feel the love tonight i mean those are yeah but you know what classic the best songs. song on there is scar song i hate to i hate to come out swinging i'm not no the best song they said kate entertainment weekly notes Parents may want to prepare very young children for Be Prepared, the villain's big number featuring spooky Lenny oh, Reffenstahl yeah. style imagery and iron singing. Um, it's the best song on this whole soundtrack. I'll, I'll fight anybody who says differently. Well, I'm gayer than you. I remember I had the best of Disney sort of mega mix. It was two discs. It was a very controversial move. Like Little Mermaid, you'd kiss the girls in one disc and the other one had, you know, Under the Sea. Anyhow, I preferred the disc that had... I just can't wait to be king. For some reason, that was my jam. Featuring original music and songs by Grammy winner Elton John and Academy Award winner Tim Rice. Everybody look left. Everybody look right. Everybody look up. Get it spotlight. I have to say, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, that that song is extremely gay. It's that's what I was thinking. It's probably the gayest of the songs because it's the gayest song. It's little diva wanting the spotlight. <laughs> it's it's just it's the most. It's actually it could be it should be rebranded as a coming out. Song. It needs to be, and I just can't wait to be gay. There needs to be a TikTok anthem today. People need to be TikToking right. and coming out to that song today. Oh my God. And once Beyonce, you know, she was nominated for the song she did. Once you have Beyonce tied to Legacy, it gets even gayer. So oh. God bless Lion King. And Kate, before we move on for our island movie entry, our top five, is this coming with you? We have. Yeah, I would. I could easily take Lion King. I mean, I love that movie today. Okay. So let's. it's on the list. I want to skim through here. Renaissance Man, I'm not going to belabor the point. Penny Marshall directed this movie. She was coming off the high highs of League of Their Own. I agreed with the review that she, I, it's so funny because I read this review that was like, this movie's going to be a bomb. And I was like, it must have been a bomb. I don't remember it. You've never heard all. of it. It's Renaissance mm -hmm. Man, just to let y'all know, oh. listening, it's a movie about a teacher who uh, 
deals with these rowdy army recruits. And they're like, instead of casting someone like Tom Cruise, we're going to go with Danny DeVito. But and actually, I'm taking umbrage here. They say casting meatballish Danny DeVito. And can Meatball. You, meatballish. Can you take that as a compliment in any <laughs> way? I love a meatball. And, uh, you know, my dad says if he could cuddle with any man, if he had to have a hall pass, cuddle with any man, his man, bar none, is Danny DeVito, the most cuddly man in Hollywood. Weird. Why? Uh, anyhow, speaking of weird, this movie starring Danny DeVito, Gregory Hines, and last build, Marky Mark. Before he was Mark Wahlberg, this is Marky Mark's first entry into the summary movie preview. They also say in this review that they did really hardcore training, including getting up and running with other people in basic training for um, a whole week. And I was like, a whole week? You guys trained for a whole week? They they said a week and a half. They said even temperamental Marky Mark had to snap to it. How did he take to regimental life? Mark won't say, but Heinz hints, he's not the kind of guy who's ready to take orders. Hints. Oh my God. What is, what is spicy hints? Here's the buzz. Marshall may be the only woman to direct 200 million grocers, big and league, but unless DeVito is as likable as Robin Williams, this won't make three. Which is true, because this movie was not on the top 10. This was definitely at the bottom of the barrel. And Penny Marshall, just want to give her that shout out to be the first woman to make it to 200 millioners. She would be lapped later on by Nora Ephron and Nancy Myers. Um, but Penny Marshall was the first, and we got to give her her due. We're moving on. Wyatt Earp, I'm not going to torture you with that one, Kate. Uh, there's some really good, juicy backstage stuff. I won't bore you, but it's really interesting. Kevin Costner was going to do the movie Tombstone, but he decided uh-huh. he'd rather do Wyatt Earp. They were both movies about Wyatt Earp. He liked this project better, so he left one. He went to Wyatt Earp, and no one gives a shit about this movie. This is a three-hour film. The buzz says three-hour films with Costner have done just fine. Hashtag Dancing with Wolves. But coming so soon after Tombstone, his wide will have to be great to rope moviegoers in for a second helping. And I have to say, this movie, Wyatt Earp, like, I'm scrolling through the... Excuse me. It's number 54 out of box office for that summer. It made 25 million. Why would they make, why would there be two competing Wyatt Earp projects? Like that also is a fucking problem. That's a Hollywood age old story. I mean, Deep Impact, Armageddon. Do I, need I say more? No, but those are both, those movies are both great. Dante's Peak, Volcano. I mean, there's always those classic stories of the movies. And once they hear the other one is in, production they try to beat each other and one always loses but uh in this case weirdly kevin costner had more pedigree but he lost tombstone has last the test of time tombstone is still a cult classic tombstone made 40 million so it doubled about this and uh tombstones are rewatchable no one rewatches wider Earp. also just one last thing i got a note on the casting for tombstone they wanted willem dafoe to play doc holiday who's sickly and dying in the movie but they were worried about box mm. office, so instead they got Val Kilmer to instead of uh, Willem Dafoe. Wow, and, very different actors. And they fired off Tombstone. They fired the director and hired a ghost director. Kurt Russell stayed on and directed the whole movie with the condition that he didn't put his name on it. So they hired a ghost director, and he told the ghost director he won't admit this until the director died. And I just read the story. The director passed recently, and Kurt Russell admitted he directed the movie. He gave the director storyboards every morning. This is exactly what you're going to do, and that's it. So anyhow, Kurt's like one of like our most influential directors that we never knew actually had a credit. One other cowboy movie, Kate, I'm not going to belabor the point, but The Cowboy Way. Cowboy Way is a movie starring Woody Harrelson and Kiefer Sutherland. And here's the story from Entertainment Weekly. Producer Brian Grazer has had fun retelling the story of how Glenn Close 
marched into his beach house to pitch her pal Woody as a modern-day cowboy. But Close's hard sell may not have been needed. Grazer knew Harrelson could fill the role Kevin Costner abandoned, that of a hayseed rodeo star who braves the new wilds of New York City to rescue a friend and then becomes a Calvin Klein model. So this is the fish out of water of a cowboy who becomes a Calvin Klein model. And Kate, I have to tell you, the Premier Magazine Summer Movie Preview had a picture of Woody Harrelson in his Calvin Klein's. The picture was as big as a stamp, Kate. A stamp. It was a half inch by half inch picture of him in his... Buried. Tiny. In his briefs. Thumbnail. I plucked it out of the magazine, and that was my porn tube. That was my U-porn. Was a scrap of <laughs> an actor in a brief. And I and there was a noticeable bulge. And actually, they note that here. They say, Woody Harrelson's an uninhibited guy. He's always walking around the beach in his underwear. Says, is there an avid surfer? I've seen him take to the wave naked. Wait, what? I was like fucking moth to the flame. I didn't see Cowboy in theaters, but I saw it over and over and over via that premier magazine uh, souvenir, so to speak. Well, you saw it in your mind a million and in a million times in a million different positions. And Kate, perfect transition. A million times, a million different positions. Speed, a movie I have seen a million times in a million different positions. In a fetal <laughs> position, in a moment of sorrow, leaping to exultion in a moment of praise. Or just two years ago, I saw it with my neighbors on a rooftop during the dark days of COVID. Oh my God, was it so helpful for you? Keanu Reeves, Dennis Hopper, Sandra Bullock. Pop quiz. You have a hair trigger aimed at your head. What do you do? What do you do? Speed. Get ready for rush hour. The movie is, I don't know what the word is, but it's, it's embedded in the DNA. And I know I'm not alone. Actually, Quentin Tarantino had to curate his top 20 list. Quentin has speed in his top 20 list. Wow. Um, I just saw it again. Quentin Tarantino owns a movie theater here in LA called the New Beverly, and he screens prints of his own films. And this film, he screened the print for. And even though I've seen the movie a million times, I hadn't seen it in theaters in 30 years. So watching just not even the bus jump moments, not even any big stunts. I'm talking, there was just a scene where they're driving and they have to make a sharp right. And Sandra's like, what do I do? What do I do? And he's like, just cut the wheel. The bus just has to turn. But seeing it in the theater of like, the bus barreling just to making a sharp right. Any sharp right is scary, but like the force of the bus, the passengers, like I know it's a movie. I know it's a movie I've seen a hundred times. I was literally like hands almost in front of my eyes watching the movie in the theater two weeks ago. We just got a ransom demand from your terrorist. Says he's rigged the city bus. Where's Jack? Where do you think? Stay on or get off. Get off. This is much better. Oh, the part where she comes careening down the hill and hits the door full of cans. I remember seeing that for the first I remember cans. seeing that for the first time. When she's speaking I mean, I remember seeing that when I was like I mean, okay, so how old was I? Like thirteen. Right. I remember her the look of horror on her face, screaming her head up. Yes. Are you sure? Yes. Oh my god. 
This had no buzz going into the summer. Originally it was gonna be released in August. The buzz actually says, the release date shift from August to June has many expecting a fast start for this relentless ride. Meaning they picked the movie up from August to June thinking actually this has a shot of getting repeat audience and playing longer during the summer. And they're so smart because the movie shot out of the gate and box office wise, top seven grosser of the year, but of the summer, I think we're in the top five. It grossed $118 million. It was top seven for the year. And more than anything, Kate, you know for me, obsessed movie fan, my new obsession became Sandra Bullock after seeing Speed. I mean, this was the movie where she mm -hmm. took over the bus, took over the wheel to my heart. And when I came out of the closet, my dad was, his only question was, but what about Sandra? And I attuned it to Rosie O'Donnell used to crush on Tom Cruise. It was the same thing. I was like, I said I love Sandra. I said I was obsessed with Sandra. I said I would die for Sandra. I never said I wanted to bend Sandra <laughs> over a desk and like mount her and have her way. Instead, I wanted to take a bus from school to get to the mall to see while you were sleeping on opening night. Like that was my obsession, Queen Sandy. And I don't know what it was. What do you think was it that when speeds whizzed into my life, why was I so engaged? And why did Sandra Bullock take my heart in this film? I'm not alone here. No, she's amazing. She's, she does all that thing with her shoulders and her face. It's all, when I think of her in that movie, Brian, I literally am thinking of like sweaty tank top arms, just like going up and down and her, her sweaty face just screaming the whole time. That's all, that's all I can think of. There's a whole, when I rewatched this movie with Wawa, there was some parts of this movie that I realized I had- Just to be clear, Wawa is your son who's how old? He's um, in ninth grade. First of all, he loved it. He was like, oh, that movie's cool. Like he, he also loved it. It stands up, it totally stands up. But I had totally forgotten like how crazy evil, um, you're, you're getting like a, a Dennis Hopper from like his David Lynch scary years in this movie. Why are they messing with me? Do they think I'm doing this for fun? <laughs> and I had totally forgotten the villain, 100%. He's great in this movie, Dennis Hopper. I, he's I, just having fun. Yeah, I- He's having a reform time. The, the part with the pencil at the beginning, I screamed again as a 38 year old. I put, I was like, ah! like, I, I don't know, I loved right. it. Well, Kate, you just said it, Entertainment Weekly notes here, they close out their recap. For co-star Bullock, pretending to drive the bus was an often hair-raising exercise. I'm not a big scaredy cat, she insists, but every reaction shot you see was completely natural. They built this rig, Kate, where basically they had someone driving the bus for her. So she's literally in the seat seeing everything happen, but she can't control the wheel. Someone else is controlling the wheel, but she's seeing all the stuff in front of her. So even though Sandra is an Oscar-winning actress, I know it's for the blind side, and we're, that's a movie we're not covering, but Sandra won her Oscar, so don't come for her. Jan DeBont, the director, he was the cinematographer, the DP of Die Hard, Kate. So this is the guy who, like, lends Die Hard. This was his first uh, film, and you can really tell someone who, like, mastered Die It's Hard so visceral. Because, exactly, it's so visceral, and more than anything... There's barely any visual effects shots. He wanted it, he said, to feel like a documentary when he shot it. He wanted to have the cast in the bus have real reactions. He shot it, he said, like a documentary. Speed shot like a documentary. Hysterical. <laughs> like a documentary. I'm just LOL. Documentary equals proceed. Right. And they said even the studio didn't want to make the movie because it was just a movie on a bus. They're like, we're not doing this. The only way they were able to sell it right. to Fox is they said, we need more stories. So they came up with, they said the opening elevator sequence because Jan Debon 
had worked with the elevators in Die Hard. And then he came with the whole end sequence. They have the, the oh, bus yeah. that can't stop. And then, of course, when they finally get on the subway at the end, of course, the subway can't stop. It really jumps the shark of all credulity. But the fact that this movie works and literally, like, Roger Ebert four-star reviews, nominated for Oscars for technical awards, like, the fact that this movie works in spite of the most outlandish, insane plot. There's a line in the half of the movie. is like, look up ahead. The highway's not complete. Like the entire theater I was in, the entire theater dies laughing. And you can laugh out loud so hard at the hysterical nature of the 105 not being built. There's a gap in the freeway. What? What? How big is a gap? 50 feet. A couple of miles ahead. This is crazy. And Kate, you know, I'm living in LA and I drive the 105. Every time I'm on the freeway, I can't help but think like, these are hallowed grounds. Hallowed ground, I can't. You're like Sandra took Sandra took to the air right here. Well, she did, and honestly, after this movie, the next summer she was in while you were sleeping to go from a supporting actress oh, to that. leading a movie. And while you're sleeping, um, Demi Moore was supposed to do. She dropped out. Sandra said all of her opening parts were all based on her being the eighth pick. They needed someone to go, and Yon DeBond said even speed. Like he begged the studio to pick her. Kate, specifically to your point, he said her reaction shots. He said when he put her on tape with Keanu what was not in the script were so real and so right. And there's a little shade there. He's like, Sandra was so normal. We couldn't have Julia Roberts driving the bus. And of course, that was always her shtick being like the hottest nerd, you know, like the hottest average When was girl. the net? Was this, was that the neck? Was that right after? It's like 94 speed, 95 while you were sleeping and the net. And then it's 96, a time to kill. So oh, like I loved the net. And I, I thought while you were sleeping was so, that movie me is so tender i can't explain it but when i think about it it's like a movie that you watch in bed surrounded by pillows my podcast not called while you're streaming for nothing but kate isn't this funny we've been talking about speed for 10 minutes i've talked about yon debont the director i've talked about sandra bullock for 20 minutes i haven't even talked about keanu who is technically the star of the movie and kate when i ran into keanu i uh i ran into him on the streets of new york a few years ago and the first thing i thought was you know sandra bullock it wasn't your keanu reeves it was like Right, you know Sandy. Her number's probably in your phone. Right, but instead I went up to him, he was having a cigarette, and I was like, I love that documentary you produced that premiered at Sundance about film versus digital. Oh my like, God, you're such a kiss-ass. He was so excited. I brought up this documentary that no one knows. Instead, the whole time I'm like, you know Sandra. And there's an amazing podcast that hasn't been on the air for years, Kate. It's called... I was there too. Genius idea. They interview extras who were around for three months filming, getting all the stories. Like who needs to interview Dennis Hopper? We can interview the person who was on the bus for three months with Keanu and Sandra telling all their stories. They interview, sorry, at least five of the people on the bus. It's the most amazing podcast. That's a genius premise. And they all talk about Keanu and Sandra being so amazing. But Sandra was like the talkative extrovert, like entertaining, grounding everyone. And Keanu was off on his own. And they said Keanu wouldn't eat lunch with anyone. He didn't have crew lunch. He had his own rice maker. On set, he had his own pot with rice. He would cook his own rice while he's doing his stunts. When Jack Trav and his character jumps onto the bus, that's Keanu doing the jump. Like, the man does it all. Jumping his own stunts and making his own rice. Wow, making his own rice. Um, Is he... I'm going to sound so stupid. He's Hawaiian, no? Right. There's something definitely there. I just love that he's keep, he's staying so close to his true self. I don't know. Well, and speaking of his close to his true self, uh, student execs were worried because his true self at that point, Kate, was long-haired, floppy-haired Keanu. This, we must note, was a buzz heard around the world. They even said it grew out a little more. In the movie, it's grown out. I guess he shaved it. And it's so funny. Uh, his studio was... Um, 
racked with nerves. The screenwriter on this is um, Yas Whedon. Is it Yas or Yos? Jos? Yos. You're asking the wrong person. I'm going with Yas. Yas. Yas Queen. I'm going with Yas. Yas Queen. Anyhow, you know, he's been canceled. He's the creator of Buffy and, you know, he did the Avengers. And he, oh, yes. He, he has been on. canceled. He's been so canceled. He was brought on to help with the dialogue of the movie and he said he wrote 99% of the dialogue. He doesn't get a writing credit. He took them to arbitration about the credit. And he th- oh. it's really fucked up. You can write 99% of the dialogue, but because there was an initial script and because the director came up with some sequences, they couldn't give him credit. But one of the rewrites, Kate, is all of the action heroes were all Arnold Schwarzeneggers. They all were cocky and they all had those horny punchlines. Keanu doesn't have a doll be back. Keanu no. rewrote, instead of making him quippy and punchy they made him the strong silent dedicated keanu they said was the new action that's so hero. smart and that's so smart they bought him as an action hero in point break but it's true like before that this is coming off of like stallone arnold you know bruce you know john claude van damme and keanu was the sensitive quiet like reserved action hero which uh i thought was an interesting point and okay you took us here getting through speed uh Kate, thank you, because, you know, I could go on and on. I have to put a time limit, because this is not a speed recap. It is the summer movie preview. But for me, in terms of going to the desert island, it's my number one. It's slotted as the number one island pick, because it's the movie I've rewatched to death. Kate, I wrote the whole script in a spiral notebook. I played the tape, and every five seconds I would pause the tape, and I'd scribble the script. Oh, my God, Brian, that's so dedicated. That's such dedication. But it's the least literate script. There's no dialogue. I was actually, I was actually about to say that probably. Only, that sounds like an amazing feat, but that probably only took you two hours. Yeah, I wasn't exactly transcribing Gone with the Wind here. Like, the biggest line was stay on or get off. Right, it's three pages. Kate, we made it to the end of part one of the 1994 summer movie preview. Speed is the perfect resting point. I could have talked for two hours. The fact that I distilled it to 20 minutes or less, I felt was pretty discreet. You have such um, depth of knowledge. It's crazy. The ones to cover still, City Slickers 2, I Love Trouble, Getting Even With Dad, we know we need to pick that up because we have to talk Macaulay, True Lies. Getting Even With Dad, it'd be a huge one for me. Um, Forrest Gump, huge one for me. Baby's Day Out, huge one for me. Wait, stop Not it. as a child, but has been revisited many times in my life since having kids for some reason. Join us next episode, kids, where Kate and I take on the rest of the 1994 summer. We've got some doozies here. Wolf, The Client, Angels in the Outfield, for God's sakes. It could happen to you. We've got North, Natural Born Killers, Clear Present Danger in the Army Now, Milk Money, Airheads, Corinna Corinna, Wagons East, It's Pat. I mean, and my own personal favorite, Color of Night. More on that, kids. Thank you for joining us on this summer series, breaking down all of Entertainment Weekly's iconic movie previews. Well, until next time, this is your host, Brian Reese, recommending all the films you should be watching while you are streaming. There, I said it. <laughs> you know what? I, I got gum on my seat. Gum. <laughs>